0: I swear I'm not making this up. The MacGuffin is Tex-Mexium. Radio Welcome to another episode of Radio I might not be Josh Hadley. I might be a pseudonym. I'm not sure. And yes, I pronounced the P. I pronounced the P because I saw a YouTuber that actually said pseudonym in a video, and I I couldn't believe it. So <laughs> I, I I guess he also really likes pterodactyls and knifes, but whatever. So with me <laughs>
1: and swords.
0: And swords. But uh, you you can hear the, the giggling ninny over there. Peter is with me.
1: That was actually Cecil. That was Cecil that time. I said swords. Yeah, I was giggling.
0: Whoever. You're, they're both here.
1: We're always keeping you on your toes. You don't know who the giggling one is.
0: I know what could be making you guys giggle. I'm saying this to the listeners. You go to adamandeve.com. You use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight we're going to look at, we're going to do a filmmaker retrospective, but it's not a normal filmmaker retrospective. We're going to look at hundreds of filmmakers we're going to look at the alan smithy credit now i initially thought going into this episode it might be kind of fun if we just do it as if alan smithy is a guy who made all of these movies but i thought that would get real old real damn fast so when you see alan smithy on a film whether and it's not always director we'll talk about a couple of writing credits and things like that but when you see alan smithy on a film what does that immediately tell you as a film fan Uh uh-oh So it it immediately signals (laughs) to you that this was a troubled production and might be a clusterfuck?
2: Yeah, usually it kind of sets off the the very first red flag that it's like, okay, either the movie is going to be a complete mess, or there was some kind of studio involvement that really messed things up, or this was not what the director had set out to make. And, you know, maybe numerous people got involved. Somebody else kind of took over. The one that I always reference, uh, I went to see Hellraiser 4 in theaters. And I believe I actually even said when it came up, you know, directed by... Alan Smithy I let out an audible uh oh and I was with (laughs) friends of mine and they're like what do you know the director and I'm like I'm trying to like kind of explain to them really quickly before the movie starts. Well, you see, as with Alan Smithy, it's when the director wanted their name taken off the film, and I'm like, and, you know, later found out the whole story about why uh, the director did take his name off the film. But, um, yeah, Hellraiser 4 ended up being a disaster anyway. We'll talk about but, that one um, more when
0: we get that, because we're gonna go chronologically after this.
2: Yeah, we will get to that, but, uh, but yeah, that is basically the first red flag that sets up, and so you know right away that this is not the movie that the director set out to make, and there's a good chance that it's not going to be good
1: when you see that there is the undeniable feeling of oh this is going to be a Franken film.
0: it's not always like that though let's go back to the beginning now technically there are three alan smithy films before the first alan smithy film but they were posthumous they were credited as alan smithy after the alan smithy credit came actual first film was 1969's death of a gunfighter and ironically enough, it's not an Alan Smithy film as we think about it because it's al Alen Smithy, A L L E N. Nobody, even the Directors Guild, is sure. Nobody can really pin down why after that one Al-N Smithy they went to the Alan Smithy title. Mm. But so for this one, it's it's a different spelling. But this was a western. Was originally directed by Robert Toten, and he was fired after after a few weeks of filming because he was clashing with star Richard Widmark. Richard Widmark had the classic thing and this will come up again later tonight. The reason he didn't like Totten's direction, it wasn't focusing on Widmark enough. He was, mm. how dare he give the supporting cast close-ups and shots too? What a cunt. He got Totten fired, so Don Siegel came in and finished the film. Don Siegel thought, since this wasn't his film and he was finishing someone else's movie, he didn't deserve the credit. Totten didn't want the credit. So they figured, we gotta come up with a pseudonym. They came up with Alan Smithy. The legend was born. And it be- it stayed secret for a long, long time. To the point where... Critics didn't even know Death of a Gunfighter had this behind-the-scenes turmoil. Literally like the New York Times in their review, quote, sharply directed by Alan Smithy, who who has an adroit facility for scanning faces and extracting sharp background detail. Or, (laughs) or, Or Roger Ebert's review, an extraordinary Western. Director Alan Smithy, a name I'm not familiar with yet, allows his story to unfold beautifully and naturally, unquote. Wow. So the Alan Smithy credit didn't always mean a complete and utter disaster. It just meant mm. something happened behind the scenes. In all honesty, Death of a Gunfighter is quite a good movie. Really, it, it it's kind of surprising because Don Siegel has a very distinct directing style, and you can't see it in this. He he looked like he was trying to match the footage quite well.
1: I didn't know about that uh the backstory for that, but uh, I like the movie
0: because the audience didn't know what the Alan Smithy credit was that it was sparsely used up until about the mid-80s. That's when you start seeing it pop up more and more and more. So through the Mm. late 1970s, all the way through the early 80s, it only popped up now and then. Mm. On the TV movie, actually there's a lot of TV movies that are Alan Smithy. I don't know if that's telling or not. But like, you know, like the TV movie Gypsy Angels, two episodes of the TV show Paper Dolls, or an episode of McCain's Law, things like that. It didn't pop up on a regular basis until about 1985. Really directed by Ramsey Thomas's *Appointment with Fear*. I had actually forgotten about it till I watched the trailer right before this show, and I
1: went, "You're a you're a TV show guy, Josh. What the hell is Mrs. Columbo? It was one episode of a TV series in 1980, right? Mrs. Columbo, and it's Alan Smithy."
0: Yes, and uh, actually, it, it's weird when you see a single episode or two out of a long-running series that something really, really went wrong. The Alan Smithy credit wasn't the only thing that directors could do. They, they sometimes used different pseudonyms, and especially there are some movies that have been disowned by their directors, but they didn't know they could use an Alan Smithy credit, or they were afraid to. For instance, David Fincher is very open that he's disowned Alien 3 in every capacity. And he said in an interview that he didn't know he could use an Alan Smithy credit, and even if he did, he probably wouldn't have because you don't want to take your name off your first film. Mm. So Alan Smithy is not the only way people want to disown their their things. Do you guys ever remember the late seventies syndicated TV series, The Star Lost?
1: No, no.
0: You guys might be a little more interested when you find out that it was created by Harlan Ellison. Oh, or I should say by Cord Wainer Bird. Because it was so <laughs> screwed up, he took his name off of it and forced them to use the Cordwainer Bird credit so they wouldn't be able to take publicity from his name.
2: Yeah, that's something else.
0: Oh, and the show is god awful. It was shot on videotape. So it looked, so, oh, man. yeah, it, it looked like a, a, What year
1: was this? Like 78,
0: 79.
1: Oh, so 78 videotape. Yeah, Holy so it looked shit. like a
0: soap opera and to save on sets, they shot on rear projection.
1: Ooh. what about guys like uh like bruno matai that use different uh pseudonyms for different types of movies like vincent dawn and jordan b michaels and stuff well you have like, you have I, that
0: but they're not part of the director's guild like, of was america he, so
1: like was he really was he hiding the films or was he trying to pretend like it was uh okay we well, got the action stuff that's vincent dawn and he got this other stuff that's like jordan b michaels and you got was he was he prouder of certain movies that he no, would list no. under his real name
0: no. when it comes to- to Bruno Mattai and especially with uh, Avadato Asinitis and any of the films that he did one of the reasons that they would have like a Vincent Dawn at the time the the film goer was immediately turned off when they saw Lots of vowels at the end of a name. They they they, they were okay. trying to fool the audience into thinking oh, that it was an American like film, making,
1: making them think it was like an American film. Yes, like Vincent yeah. Dawn sounds very like that's like an American macho action director. It's also one of the thing. best
0: pseudonyms ever. Absolutely, it really is <laughs> but but no, uh, the Bruno Mattei thing was more to fool the audience than ah. than it was to hide hide secret hey, shame. That's
1: Still kind of that's still sort of Alan Smithy ish because yeah. original that is sort of what Alan Smithy was was to to fool the audiences into thinking this was an actual director while the uh, in a different way while the director gets to sort of slip away and not uh not put his stamp on it so I guess it's still it's similar it's still fooling the audience into thinking this was uh, a <laughs> some other like real person that did it which is it's pretty interesting because you were talking about like uh, you know how Paul and Ellison went under a different pseudonym and you know Bruno Mattai does the same sort of thing and you've got the Alan Smithy thing so it's it really is a, a massive part of, of filmmaking in general, that this is uh, this is something that doesn't just fall under under one universally used uh, pseudonym.
0: And the, the really weird thing is, when you look at the Alan Smithy list, when you start to notice the same names pop up again and again and again, it makes you wonder, okay, so is this director a prissy little bitch who takes his name off <laughs> if he doesn't get his way? Or is this a director who's completely incompetent and has to have their films save? Rod Halcomb. He's got four Alan Smithy credits.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm seeing his name a lot. Gerald
0: Friedman. Yes, two of them are TV, but he's got four Alan Smithy credits. So you got to wonder, are these just idiot directors, or are these prissy little (laughs) bitches?
2: Somewhere in the middle. Sometimes... It's prissy little bitches, and sometimes it's just rep- uh folks that have gotten repeatedly screwed. I, I mean, you know how—I mean, you've, you've been on s- films before, so you know how things can go in a complete wrong direction. And it doesn't take much to head it there. All you have to have is one producer that shows up one day when things maybe aren't going as well as they can, and they panic. You know, you get a director who maybe is trying to do something a little bit different or make something a little more off-guard, you know, avant-garde and you get a director on there who uh they want something mainstream and they didn't sign on for this and they you know are showing an investor who gets upset and they uh panic and then next thing you know uh they're call you calling for major changes and the director just wants his name taken off of it it's just somewhere in the middle
0: well because like in the case of gerald friedman he directed the pilot episode of macgyver in 1985 And he gave an interview to a MacGyver fan site in 2015, where he said the reason he took the Alan Smithy credit on that was he just was not happy with the final edit of, which makes me wonder. He also directed an episode later in the first season of MacGyver after he had known about that, where he also took an Alan Smithy credit. So you kind of go, dude, did you not learn your lesson with these producers the first time?
2: (laughs) Well, sometimes it's a job, you know? It's like you do it and then you get, I mean, he got paid either way.
0: But then you have stuff like the the Twilight Zone episode, Paladin of the Lost Hour, the 1985 series, is a really strange Alan Smithy credit. So you had director Gilbert Cates come in to direct a Harlan Ellison story. And we all know how Harlan Ellison is. Gilbert was just incompetent. He he was letting... This was what turned out to be Danny Kaye's last television appearance. You know, dancer, actor Danny Kay. Gilbert was letting Danny Kaye call the shots. He was just completely kowtowing and letting Danny Kaye decide to cut Glenn Turman out of shots, how camera angles would set up, and Danny Kaye basically ghost-directed it for Gilbert Cates. So Ellison mm. lost his shit. He was a producer on The Twilight Zone. He lost it at how badly Cates and Danny Kaye were screwing his story up. So Kay quit... Ellison took over, uncredited, and filmed the rest of the episode, and then tried to save it in editing. By the way, the episode goes on to win an Emmy and three Writer Guild Awards, so it's Mm -hmm. not like Ellison screwed it up at all, but Cates was completely unhappy with how Ellison treated him, so he took a pseudonym on that. He took an Alan Smithy.
2: It's just an oddity, and I mean, I guess it makes sense that that he would do that.
0: It's also a fantastic episode. It deserved the Emmy. It's won. it won.
2: Yeah, no, it, it totally does. Uh, you know, I mean, now he he took his name, but he took his name off before. So he didn't know that it was going to do that well.
0: One of the things I hate about the, about this episode, it, it, and Ellison talks about it a little on the commentary, is just how selfish Danny Kaye was. And, and and that's why he wished Cates had stood up to Danny Kaye. Because Danny Kaye had this thing, if it was a two-shot, because the bulk of the episode is just Danny Kaye and Glenn Turman. There's there's a couple other actors, but it's basically them. Whenever they were in a two-shot, Danny Kaye would give an okay performance. But when he was in a tight shot or a close-up, he would give an outstanding performance. They Therefore, it would force Cates in editing to use the close-ups and not shots of Glenn Terman because Danny K had it in his head. I'm the star, not this nobody who's starting out. That is just you're an asshole. You're not the star.
1: That's some uh, that's some pig headed right there. That shows the uh, ego that some uh, actors can have it's really strange like i don't think this this uh goes for every actor in in hollywood or people that are trying to be actors but a lot of them are they seem to be very strange insecure people who have this idea that they're bigger than this person or they have the right to treat somebody like shit because they're in that position and i think that's a that's a prime example of something like that is the a a lot of the the toxicity that comes with hollywood is is people like that and working unfortunately with people like that
0: i don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie but have you either of you ever seen 1985 stitches it was very much like police academy at a med school movie
1: i think i think i have um who's who's in that one
0: parker stevenson jerry lewis tommy koenig eddie albert uh... i think
1: i think i may have seen it on like this is in 85
0: comedy
2: yeah. central or something yeah i saw it like once
0: well, it's an Alan Smithy film. I remember loving this as a kid. I saw it again as an adult on VHS in late 90s and went, wow, this thing is horrible. So in retrospect, <laughs> I can see why, why, why Rad Halcombe took his name off of this thing. I don't know if it was an editing dispute or if he just saw it and went, oh my God, what did I do? Nobody remembers Knight Rider spin-off Dalton or it was called Code oh. of Vengeance. Dalton, it was in the, uh, I think it was the season two premiere, the two hour premiere, the, or from they introduced a new character of dalton he got his own spin-off. both hmm. of his tv movies were alan smithy because they're horrible
2: why why wasn't there a garth spinoff garth was the evil michael knight because he had a mustache
0: <laughs> a very <laughs> fake mustache if i remember right oh it's so bad but it was wonderful wasn't there an evil kit too but it was a giant truck
2: yeah that was that was garth's vehicle yeah. he drove the evil kit which was a truck
0: because why not right
2: with, with the mustache, and oh, it, it's so wonderful.
0: <laughs> well, but now more people are going to be familiar with this movie from Brad Jones than anything else. Have either of you ever seen 1986's Ghost Fever with Sherman Hemsley? Uh, just, I, I just saw Brad's. I saw Brad's Brad's review of it. That's an Alan Smithy film. You can kind of see why, can't you? Yeah, yeah, from what I could see. From what I could see from that video, yeah. Did either of you guys ever see the John Cryer movie from 1987, Morgan Stewart's Coming Home? Yes! I Actually, I love Morgan
2: Stewart's Coming Home. You like it a lot more
0: than John Cryer does.
2: Oh well, you know,
0: well, John
2: Cryer, I, and I like John Cryer too. He's had issues with a few things that he's done, and I'm like, look, you know, you'll you'll complain about Morgan Stewart's coming home, but not Two and a Half Men. I mean, I realize you're not getting the payday or, on or, that, uh, or Superman Four, or Superman. Oh God, yeah. You know, so he, it's like he, look, uh, according to, I would according be more Cri-
0: by that pilot crap. According to John Cryer, what happened with Morgan Stewart's coming home, and that wasn't even the original title that they signed on for, is they started shooting the movie, and then Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a huge hit on home video. So the producers then decided, we need to make this more like Ferris Bueller. And he said the new script pages they started getting were not the movie he signed up for. So even though I movie, agree, I like Morgan Stewart's company, it's a horror movie's fan dri- The very first shot, Cecil, you can confirm this, the camera panning out from Fulci's zombie poster, isn't it?
2: yeah and the the he he falls in love with the girl who's in love with zombie movies and stuff they see and attack like,
0: of the killer tomatoes in the theater at one they, point
2: yes it's and they and they sing the attack of the killer tomatoes and it's it's really it, it's a charming like the thing like i love ferris bueller's day off i think that it is a hilarious just wonderful slice of 80s comedy but it is really 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 ridiculous whereas morgan stewart's coming home was a little bit more grounded it was a little more of a realistic take on like a teenager who's kind of socially awkward. And he meets another girl who's like a little bit socially awkward. And They're both and horror they, movie they, fans. They're both horror movie fans. They develop a relationship, but like the, the father and, or the, the family that he's living with are very like, you know, they, they, They're very stuffy, they sent him away to, um, to, uh, what was it, uh, not military camp. No, it was boarding boarding school. school. And they bring him home simply because they want to have the illusion that they're this tight-knit family because he's running for office. I was going to say, I think
0: his dad's running for senator or something. And so it's like,
2: it's actually like a very charming little film. So I don't know, I, the only thing that I could think of is maybe the original version was a little bit more serious.
0: I, I like think so were... because you can kind of tell when you watch it that the Ferris Bueller stuff, like the pranks he pulls at the boarding school and that, I mean, for one thing, you can tell his haircut is different. You can tell yeah. those were shot after the stuff at the house. You can tell mm. in a way this was Franken filmed into being more along long lines of Fierce Bueller, you can tell what scenes were not in the original script.
2: But to be perfectly honest, I think that the the original version of the film probably would have ended up being boring. Like, the yeah. version that we ended up getting, this is one of those rare instances where it ended up being good. It ended up being just very, just charming and, and a, like, nice little film, you know?
0: One of the things John Cryer said about this movie in his book is, the director gets to take his name off this and use a pseudonym, but I have to take credit for it?
1: Oh, shut up. Oh, shut God up, God damn it. He, he should f***ing appreciate the fact that he even has a career grow grow a beard and go hide out and
2: like he has he has no problem with hiding out now i like hiding out too but i mean that's <laughs> much more ludicrous he actually than, looked better uh, with the
0: beard and hiding out i thought
2: he looked he, i will give credit where credits due he did look a lot older and then they did make him look a lot younger without the beard
0: Well, and then we've got... Now, I I haven't seen this one, but John Frankenheimer did a TV movie called Riviera in 1987. Frankenheimer's Hmm. a pretty decent director. Yes, I know he's made some bad movies, but overall, he's a pretty decent director. I guess it just turned out really, really bad. But Mm -hmm. the the big one I want to talk about is, have either of you guys seen 1989's Gunhead?
1: No. But from the trailer you shared, I want to see it. Was that Mario
0: Von Peebles? No, this is Japanese.
1: It was Toho, right? It was a Toho film. It's a Toho
0: cyberpunk giant robot robot movie. It yes. was
1: originally written as like a Godzilla film but then I can't confirm they made that. It I've else. seen
0: I've seen some sources that say this was the original script for Godzilla versus Biolanti, that when they decided oh. to go in another direction they made it their own movie and I've seen other places that discount that and say that that's just an urban legend so I can't confirm the Godzilla connection on that one but I've heard the same things.
1: And uh, I haven't seen it but it looks like uh, Gundam or some shit. It's pretty cool. It's like a mech mech movie?
0: Uh yeah, not as much. They really want to sell you on that, but that's maybe only ten minutes of the movie. Most of it's like a oh. cyberpunk post-apocalyptic movie. But the, oh, okay, but okay. the thing with Gunhead is Maseo Harada. It's only an Alan Smithy film in America. Now I don't. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the Japanese version. I don't know if it's the a different edit in America or if maybe the dub is what he doesn't like. But he only took his name off the American version of the film. Again, having not seen the Japanese version, I have to assume it's not as dumb as the American version. For instance, you, you know how in a film like this, they're, they're trying to break into the Terminator factory to steal a MacGuffin, right? Yeah. I swear I'm not making this up. The MacGuffin is Tex-Mexium.
1: <laughs> that makes me want a quesadilla exactly <laughs> Unob- unobtainium
0: <laughs> uh, yeah honestly james cameron cited this as one of his favorite films i'm not kidding. i just
1: read that i'm, I'm reading the trivia for it right now and actually confirmed <laughs> was based on an idea for godzilla versus biolante in which godzilla would have fought a giant robot um and there's a whole bunch of other the, the concept for the film came from a story uh a story contest that toho held in 1986 which was to decide on the narrative for the next installment in the Godzilla series. So this one's got a whole lot of weird background stuff going for it. Again, I
0: can't speak to the different edits, but the American version is edited like mad. The scenes don't flow together. There are random Mm. insert shots that have nothing to do with anything else, and I swear certain parts of scenes are edited in the wrong order. For instance, there's a scene where they're getting attacked by unseen androids in an elevator. You clearly see something break through the ceiling, and then Mm. they're all shooting through the floor. And then I went and looked at the scene again. That's actually this floor being broken, but they flipped it upside down to make it look like it's coming from the ceiling. It's an honestly incompetent edit. I dare you to watch this movie and try and go, There's and and think there's no narrative flow to this. It's just random (laughs) scene after random scene with characters we've
1: seen before. Gunhead stands for Gun Unit Heavy Elimination Device. This yes. Is awesome. it, it,
0: it, by the way, it's spelled head. G-U-N-H-E-D, not E-A-D. Gunhead. Gunhead. I cannot imagine the Japanese cut had them hunting for Tex Maxim.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't I, imagine
0: I can't. that. You have the same thing with like, okay, how Harada took his name off just the American cut of Gunhead. David Lynch's Dune. That's an Alan Smithy film when you watch it on television. David is it Lynch- actually? Yes, David Lynch hated the TV edits because, for one thing, the TV edits put back in deleted scenes that he cut for a reason. Mm. And so (laughs) if you look at the TV version, it's directed by Alan Smithy. I never noticed that. Richard Stanley has said when he saw the Miramax version of Dust Devil, remember Cecil? He didn't know he could take an Alan Smithy film. Remember when we talked to him?
2: Yeah, yeah, he didn't he, know. He, he was and so,
0: he was so of a noob at this, he didn't know that that was an option.
2: Yeah, and he, he spent a long time reacquiring the movie as mm-hmm. so he could be proud of
0: having his name on there.
2: And he should be. Because his version is the de facto version that should have been there, that should have been released to begin with.
0: Oh my god, the Miramax version's unwatchable.
2: The Miramax version has got awful. It's 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 a train wreck. And I remember being really upset because I was such a fan of hardware, and I was like, "What the hell happened?" You know. And I was young and stupid at the time, so I I just was like, "Oh God, I guess you know, I don't know what happened." And I was like, oh, "I just had a bad film." And then years later, I find out that uh, you know he got completely hosed. Well,
0: and then in, it, we got a whole bunch here in 1990. 1990 was a bad year for the Alan Smithy credit, or a good year depending on how you look at it. Have either of you ever seen the the Dennis Hopper directed film with? John- jody foster catch fire or perhaps you saw it under its other title backtrack no i don't think so no Catchfire slash backtrack take a look at this cast okay it's directed by dennis hopper as alan smithy and it stars dennis hopper jody foster dean stockwell vincent price john tuturo fred ward julie adams bob dylan and joe pesci And this is an Alan Smithy film.
2: Wow. Woo.
0: What happened was Dennis Hopper turned in his cut, which was just under two hours long, and the studio just said it was too long. They didn't dislike his cut, but they said he's got to cut a half hour out. He refused. So they said, fine, we'll do it. So he took his name off of it when it was released as Catch Fire. Then he put all of his scenes back in, and then when it was released to VHS and Cable under the title Backtrack, that was directed by Dennis Hopper. So only Mm. if you saw this movie theatrically, it was an Alan Smithy film. Cecil, last week you and I talked about Solar Crisis – That literally feels like two different films, doesn't it? Like all the Corin, as I said last week, all the Corin Nemec, Charlton Heston stuff really has nothing to do with the, all the rest of the Tim Matheson and Peter Boyle stuff. Those two, it's like two different movies happening at the same time, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I'm like, why is Parker Lewis in this space movie?
0: It's like, he's not, he's on earth. He's not in the space movie. Well,
2: he's, well, that's what I'm saying. He's on earth during this space movie. like, And he's getting chased around by Charlton Heston as his grandfather. It's it's very odd. Yeah, it really uh, there are times where like, I mean, you know, you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, I wonder if moving forward, if we're going to see more original cuts of things like with stuff like that, when they say a lot of people don't realize you know, the term cutting room floor. There was a time where the reason why they called it the cutting room floor was because the film was actually landing on the floor of the cutting room. They were, they were removing it and it was never really meant to be seen. Whereas a lot of things now, everything's done digitally. So they have, uh, you know, they, they'll have it on a hard drive somewhere. So there's always the possibility of reincorporating scenes back into a film a lot easier than it used to be. But with movies like that, you got to wonder what was the original cut? Like, what was the Coronemic Charlton Heston stuff put in place of?
0: Exactly, because their stuff clearly was not part of the original film. Their stuff was clearly all reshoots. I would be surprised if either of them were part of the original film at all.
2: Oh god. Yeah, they, like, probably like a year or two later, they brought them in to, uh, to do some reshoots.
1: It sounds like fun.
0: We're still in 1990. Do either of you remember the Cheech Marin Ozploitation movie, A Shrimp on the Bobby?
1: Oh god, no. I- but
0: I- I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see it though. No, you in don't name want to. Only. I, I rented this cause you know, I'm a big Cheech and Chong fan. So I'm like, oh, Cheech is in Australia! Wow, this is so not funny! <laughs> I don't know what actually happened on this one, but director M- M- Michael Gittlebob, Gittlebob, Gittleeb, whatever, he had his name taken off of it and maybe it's just because the movie is shockingly unfunny.
2: Could be. (laughs)
0: Did either of you guys see 1991's Bloodsucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh?
2: Yes. That's my own
0: Smithy film. God, of course it is. Um, I enjoyed it personally but
2: being being from Pennsylvania I think I was required by law to watch any movie with uh, Pittsburgh or Philadelphia in the title and that's why I watched the uh was it the Trash Pickin Field Goal Kicking Philadelphia Phenomenon <laughs> with <laughs> Tony Danza but um yeah yeah bloodslicking Looking in Pittsburgh um it's terrible but it is the right kind of terrible Oh, it's fun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like like your average moviegoer would not watch it. But if you are the kind who listens to this show and enjoys what we talk about, you will probably love the shit out of this movie.
0: <laughs> I mean, come on, can you not be drawn to blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh? How can, like that was what got me. I mean, it's like
2: it, I, but I fall for a stupid title. Like I watched uh rug su- was it? Oversexed Rug Suckers from Mars. <laughs> So I was like, I got to watch this. And it, it, the blood-sucking fire was in Pittsburgh was better.
3: (laughs)
0: Well, did either of you ever see, no, this was a TV movie, but it was actually uh, a pilot. And I actually talk about it in my book. Tom Holland's The Owl starring Adrian Paul where it was basically Adrian Paul has a precocious teenage female sidekick and he's the Punisher who can't sleep.
1: I haven't, I don't think I've seen this. This is a TV pilot?
0: It was a TV pilot but it was a TV movie aired in 1991. Tom Holland took his name off of it. He's actually released a director's cut on his YouTube channel. It's essentially Adrian Paul has his family killed. He can't sleep which somehow during the night when normal people are asleep he's out being a vigilante. He's got a long trench coat and gun and he's got a, fee- uh, a, a a teenage girl who's his sidekick and his ward. And Brian Thompson is the bartender. He gets all of his information from.
1: I didn't even think Adrian Paul did anything besides like Highlander.
0: Nope he was he was going to be the Owl. The Owl. That's and what this that was. was. Highlander, by the way. This is after War of the Worlds, before Highlander.
1: The Owl.
0: The Owl.
2: And he was in and he was in Love Potion Number Nine. Huh. He was also in the Wait. Dark
0: Shadows reboot in ninety one.
2: With, mm-hmm. with Sandra Bullock back, uh, when they, I, that was a, I remember just to kind of go off on a quick tangent, but love potion number nine, they opened it up and like that was, nobody knew who Sandra Bullock was at all. And I'm like, wait a minute. They put like. They they give her like greasy hair and glasses. I'm like, this girl's still really good looking. And then of course she takes the love potion number nine, and then she's gorgeous. And I'm like, hey, there you go. I'm like, you can't fool me. I always love when they take like a really naturally pretty girl and they try to ugly her up by giving her glasses. It's
0: just, it's just and, like, and, and they mess her hair up a little stupidest. bit. Come
2: on. And they they gave her like a little bit of frizzy hair. I was like, oh Christ. Like
0: <laughs> I, I I remember at the beginning of Miss Congeniality when she's supposed to be ugly, and even the other cops are talking about it. Lost. Well, she can never be in the beauty pageant. I'm like, no, she's still Sandra fucking Bullock, you assholes.
2: Yeah, she's like really <laughs> good. Or, or, uh, Rachel Lee Cook in, uh, in, yeah, in uh, She's uh, All That. Where, oh no, she's got, she's wearing overalls, glasses, and, and a ponytail. Oh no. that's, like, see, that,
0: that's yeah. called Hollywood Ugly.
2: Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, it really, you know, all they did was put her, you yeah, know, they put her in a dress and combed her hair. All of a sudden she's an 11.
0: Peter, I don't know if you guys got this show, but I know Cecil used to watch Red Shoe Diaries. Yep. Red Shoe, yep, Red we got Shoe got that Diaries has an Alan Smithy episode. Oh, God. Wow.
2: I guess what there wasn't there wasn't enough boobs or a, too, too um, much.
0: It was directed by a woman, Mary Lambert, and she was trying to make it like a female empowerment piece. And she didn't like no. how how they edited it to just be like sexploitation. So the episode Accidents Happen, ironic title, is an Alan Smithy episode.
2: Who uh, who is the girl in that?
0: Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy? This was the Ali Sheedy episode.
2: OK, then. No, it's not. That's not the one I'm thinking of. Let's be honest here. Shows like the Red Shoe Diaries are, are, they're meant to empower the penis. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> okay, that, that is so, so, I'm gonna stop
0: you. You need to back up. Explain to the audience who maybe didn't understand what, what, what was Red Shoe Diaries and why was David Duchovny reading softcore chick porn on cable?
2: Uh, what was the- he got dumped, like really, really, like horrendously bad. I think he got
0: left at the altar, maybe? Or he got,
2: yeah, he got, he got a runaway bride or whatever this shit. and so he's just re like so all of these like women are just sending him their their naughty stories he took out an ad and, in the
0: paper asking for them
2: yes and they're all sending him his naughty and he's reading their uh their stories and, uh, in that, that awesome David, you know, pre-X-Files David a. Coveney voice. <laughs> it, it's always
0: him and his dog walking along the tracks, reading these letters, which we see a, are very thin stories with lots of boobs.
2: Uh, to, yeah. to a mild saxophone playing in the back. <laughs> it was the nineties.
0: The saxophone was implied. Come, Come on. on. In 1994, did you guys ever see, now remember this was the era where Showtime said, we're going to make sequels to classic movies like they made It Came From Outer Space 2, they made Psycho 4, and they made The Birds 2, Land's End.
2: Well, Birds, Land's End was
0: was Alan Smithy, right? The Birds 2, Land's End is Alan Smithy. It was was
1: really Rick Rosenthal, Halloween 2 director Rick Rosenthal. He took his name off this thing. Now, hold on. He also directed Halloween Resurrection, didn't he? Yes, Rick Rosenthal did Halloween Resurrection as well. And he didn't take his name off that? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You take your name off Birds 2, but not Halloween Resurrection? Not the the worst Halloween film ever made. Okay. Well, I don't know. That would be Rob Zombies,
2: seen, but... Have you seen the Birds 2?
0: Yes. I, I watched it when it premiered on Showtime in 94, man.
1: It's not good. Neither is Halloween Resurrection. No, I know, but I <laughs> think that
2: like, I think that, you know, what, like Halloween Resurrection, a little more high profile, Birds 2, is is um is just
1: yeah. Birds two didn't have enough trick or treat mother. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I will say for Birds two though, Brian Johnson looks like he's really trying, doesn't he? Oh, well, he's I, always
1: trying. Honestly, think, he's he's he always puts in an effort.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I think the actors were were trying to be a good in a good movie. Every it just it, it just wasn't good.
0: And then there's a whole lot of TV movies I'm skipping over, like Lifetime movies, like Wild Justice Sleeps. <laughs> What? Wild! Yeah,
2: I'm I'm intrigued
0: of course you are and yeah. and, and, then, and then we've got from the MacGyver Alan Smithies we've got Gerald Friedman on the O.J. Simpson story TV movie he took his name off that too what a surprise and then we come to the last pure Alan Smithy film and I'll explain why in a moment but we have Hellraiser Bloodline this is the last like I said pure Alan Smithy film
1: now before we, we get into this one I have not seen every Hellraiser movie I think I quit watching after blood bloodline is the fourth one right that's, the one, that's is the one in, in space, space? That's in yes space yes okay so i know that's that's exactly where i can quit the franchise that's a smithy film
0: Yes, it is. It's no actually kidding. it's actually Kevin yager who directed the bulk of it. He didn't direct all of it. What happened was this was Dimension. I can't remember if this was was this Miramax or were they Dimension yet? I don't remember. Ah, uh,
1: I believe it was Dimension. It was yeah, still I Dimension. It was Dimension.
0: Okay, so so basically the Weinstein's came down. They saw Yager's rough cut. Basically, he was trying to tell a good story, which meant Pinhead didn't appear till the 34 minute mark in his rough cut. They're hey. like unacceptable. This we're selling this as a pinhead movie you need but more come pinhead. on
1: it takes him a long time to show up even in the first and the second one like what the f- mm-hmm.
0: well the first and the second one weren't dimension films either were they
1: um uh, they weren't no. they were yeah there's movies. yeah there's the weinsteins
0: so kevin yager he didn't have a, he wasn't completed filming he'd only confi- he'd only edited together a little over an hour of what you know would be the movie for a work print and he quit so then another director was brought in hack joe Chappelle came in and finished the joe movie Chappelle,
3: what's
1: he done Dave Chappelle? Joe Chappelle. Joe. Dave Chappelle.
0: (laughs)
2: Hellraiser. Oh, my God. Hellraiser directed by Dave Chappelle? That'd be brilliant. Come
0: on. I bet that would be great. This is actually Halloween 6 Curse of Michael Myers, the second director that came in, Joe Chappelle. This is a guy who's made a career out of finishing other people's films and wrecking them.
1: Doing it badly.
0: Yes. So... Hellraiser Bloodline, you can almost tell when you watch it what was shot by Jagger and what was shot
1: by Chappelle. That movie is unforgivably bad. It's offensively bad. <laughs> uh, I tried, I quit. I quit. The, I was gonna, I was having like, uh, I wanted to marathon all the Hellraiser movies and I had them all ready to watch. I went one, two, three, which I'd already seen. I was like, I want to watch the rest of them. And I got to Bloodline and by the end of it, I gave up. I was like, no, I'm not watching the rest of these f***ing movies after that. That's it. That ruined it. Hellraiser, Pinhead isn't cool anymore. This was garbage. Like, I really think it's, it's one of those unforgivably bad films. It went to directions it never should have gone into. We never needed to take Pinhead to f***ing space. There was still so much more you could have done on Earth with that character. And the whole thing is practically a goddamn flashback. It's like this Victorian era age shit of like, uh, of this like the original, it's like a woman that's like a Cenobite or some crap and, and it's, you so, ye- it's so- It's so f***ing- convoluted and bad and by the time you actually get to space you just don't care anymore the only thing i'll give it is
0: i i agreed story-wise why it went into space because they were they wanted to open the box but they wanted to do it in a place where if pinhead did show up because they weren't sure if he was real or not he couldn't wreak havoc on innocent people so they were doing it on a space station where he's not on earth and i'm like okay it's kind of dumb but the logic is there of why it's being done on a space station
1: he's a friggin' demon though and he he doesn't work in the realms of logic he can do whatever the fuck he wants god what a stupid fucking movie every aspect of it is dumb even that original logic of oh he's in space he can't do anything he's pinhead did you you see the last three fucking movies go yourself it
2: was not good (laughs) it's um (laughs) eh, i mean and it, it was funny because um the only thing I will say, it gave me a better appreciation of 3, and I never, like, really disliked 3. I kind of, I thought, you know, 3 had had its problems. If you but, remember uh, from
0: our retrospective, I really did.
2: I Yeah, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, but then, like, what, like, because 2 was so good.
1: Oh,
3: God, 2 is amazing.
2: Two is amazing, and then going to three, and it is it is kind of a steep drop-off. But then going to four, it is a gigantic drop-off.
0: See, this was, Hellraiser Bloodline was 1996. And it was two things that happened in 1997 and 1998 that killed the Alan Smithy credit. Although it's technically still alive, but I'll get into that in a moment too. So first you had an Alan Smithy film, Burn, Hollywood, Burn, come out. I personally think is funny as hell and it's one of the most savagely brutal indictments of the Hollywood system I've ever seen. But ironically enough, director Arthur Hiller didn't like Joe Westerhaus's edit of it and took his name off the film. So the film that was satirizing the Alan Smithy phenomena and was all about empowering directors actually had his director take its name off. So there's an added irony to that.
1: Yeah, that's really, really ironic. That's painfully ironic.
0: It's an actually bitingly funny movie, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, didn't it get
2: nominated for a Razzie, too?
0: It got nominated for just about every Razzie, and Roger Ebert uh-huh. called it... Roger Ebert said, up in, you know, up until 1997, obvi- obviously, other than North, if North hadn't existed, it's the worst film he's ever seen in his professional career.
2: Uh. Well... Of course, they don't like movies that call them out on their own garbage. Shane yeah.
0: Black is hilarious playing himself as a as a uh, assassin scriptwriter, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where, where he comes into a he comes in to fix other people's scripts and he doesn't care, and he plays himself in the movie, and that's hilarious.
1: I love Shane Black,
0: but it also has Harvey Weinstein. As a police, de- as a private detective, though.
1: Oh, sweet f***ing Jesus.
0: So there was that, which brought a lot of controversy. Because, see, up to this point, the general public didn't know what the Alan Smithy credit was. Mm. And this shined a light on it. And right. And then there was American History X. That's an Alan Mel- Smithy film? No, it's not. But I'll explain how these things are connected. Okay. So Tony K made American History X. And he was very vocal right up front. He did not want Edward Norton for the lead. According to the producers, he didn't offer a viable alternative, but he didn't think Edward Norton was right for the part. And he said in retrospect, after working with him, they each made a a little bit, they gave a little bit and took a little bit from each other. And he said Norton absolutely deserved his Oscar nomination for the movie. But in Mm. pre-production, he didn't think he was right for it. He says Mm. after the fact, Norton absolutely killed it. So turning Norton down at first planted a very bad seed with Edward Norton and director Tony Kay. Mm. Now, Tony Kay is a perfectionist. When when he was editing the movie, New Line was not happy with how long he was taking. Not Not with his edit, they were not happy with how long he was taking. He said he wanted a little bit more money, there's a few scenes that are missing that he didn't realize he needed, and he needed some more money. They made the calculated mistake of allowing Edward Norton to sit in on the editing sessions. Edward Norton was already starting to get a big ego at this point. Edward Norton's cut of the film, which is essentially the version we got in theaters, all of a sudden, Stacy Keach is getting scenes cut. Beverly Angelo is getting her scenes cut. John Connor is getting his scenes cut. Jennifer Lean is getting her scenes cut. Basically, Edward Norton created a cut where he is the main character and everyone else is there to support his story. Oh God. That's not the film Tony K directed. Tony K tried to take his name off of it. To go back to Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert said, American History X is ironically the best film anyone's ever tried to take their name off of. Because it's a phenomenal (laughs) movie. But basically, Tony K tried to take his name off of it. The problem was, being a novice director, this was his first feature film, he was very, very public about it. Taking out ads and variety, bitching that new line, would not let him have his cut of the film. Mm. One of the presets of getting an Alan Smithy credit is, you can't talk about it. So he already violated that. So they said, okay, you can pick a different name. So he chose Humpty Dumpty for his credit. <laughs> and they said, absolutely not. You're not taking this seriously. You don't get to take your name off of it. Mm. So American History X coming out right after Alan Smithy film Burn Hollywood, burn they just said the alan smithy film the alan smithy credit is way too recognizable we just we got to do away with this what happened was basically they did away with it and american history x goes on to get nominated for oscars and all this tony k gets completely ostracized from hollywood now people have to take a specific credit when they take a pseudonym instead of instead of a, a communal credit
1: I had no idea that uh, Norton was that much of a dickhead behind the scenes.
0: If you ever want to see Tony K's cut,
1: does it exist?
0: Tony K's cut is the work print that's out on the torrent sites. It's okay. it's still got temp music and it's it's missing a little bit. Tony K has said that's probably 98% his cut. What's and,
1: the one that was uh released in in theaters? Like who who edited that one in the that, movie? Th- that's
0: the Edward Norton
1: cut. So that's the, one, the, one, the like, one that we saw in theaters. I and, never even noticed that that he was like the main center of the film. I feel like, uh Edward Furlong was like the sort of the the biggest part because he's like talking about those experiences and talking about his brother and stuff. So I never even really noticed that uh Norton was uh, dominating the film.
0: Edward Furlong actually has a lot more to do with the director's cut cuz remember how in the final film Danny Edward Edward Furlong's character narrates the, at the beginning of the film and then at the very end of the film. Yeah. he, he narrates through the whole movie in mm. Tony K's cut. He also has more scenes that were cut the the Scenes play out in a different order, which makes a little bit more logical sense. And the black prison friend that Edward, that Edward uh, Derek gets, gets a lot more screen time. And you, you understand how they become friends and how that racial barrier is broken down. Whereas in the Edward Norton cut, I'm not going to say it's abrupt, but it happens a little faster than would naturally happen.
1: A little bit, yeah.
0: The only thing with the work print is it's got a temp soundtrack, which is kind of distracting. Because the music wasn't completed yet, but I I love American History X, but I actually would would say the work print is probably the better movie.
2: I am going to have to uh, see if I can see uh, the other version.
0: I've got a copy. I can get you guys copies. I I, I can hook you guys up, man. I, I, yeah, I've got all them work prints, man. I can hook you guys up. I got work, a source.
1: work print. Uh, work print pusher,
0: man. But well, hey, only the first one's free. but then after this like I said they decided to retire it but there are still tons of Alan Smithy films that come out every year because now that the Alan Smithy credit has become so well known it's become a joke There are so many short films that intentionally, they're not taking their name off of it. They think it's funny.
3: Look, directed by Alan Smithy, that's
0: funny. You you get this on cartoons now. There's a SpongeBob SquarePants that's Alan Smithy. The director didn't take his name off of it. They just thought it was a funny joke. So, you still get tons. I mean, I'm looking here, after the Alan Smithy credit was retired, there are 27 more Alan Smithy films after that. And none of them are for people taking their names off of it. It's all for, God, this is f***ing funny. It's not even that funny. It's not. It's
1: like, when it's, when it's that well known, it's kinda like, yeah, okay.
0: But then, it's not just directors. Remember when we did our house retrospective? Remember the horror show? Alan Warner, the writer, took an Alan Smithy credit.
1: No. Or, that was uh, definitely, uh, definitely felt like sort of a Frankenfilm kind of thing. It, it felt like it didn't really know exactly what it wanted to be, even if it was um, really entertaining.
0: Parts of it are this grounded-to-earth serial killer film, and then parts of it are a fucking ghost movie.
1: Yeah, it's something else.
0: Sam Sam Raimi took his name off the Nut House. He used an Alan Smithy credit on that. So there are a couple of those, and this this is not even isolated to film television. There are comic books that are Alan Smithy. There was a Daredevil run actually written by DJ Shisher DJ Shyshester. Where he took his name off of five issues because he found out he was fired, so he half assed them, put an written by Alan Smithy on it. There was a two thousand AD strip that was written it was actually Peter Hogan. He put an Alan Smithy credit on that when he found out that he wasn't happy with the artwork. So huh. it, it it it's not even it's not even just limited to film.
1: With Interesting. People- I didn't I didn't know that it's uh It bled into, like, comics and stuff, too.
0: Even music videos. A lot of music videos are directed by Alan Smithy because they're usually not happy with the edit.
1: Music videos are stupid.
0: Looking at the history of the Alan Smithy credit, obviously, we didn't talk about a lot of stuff that either, you know, none of us have seen or are so obscure. I cannot even, I've never been able to find a copy of 1978's The Barking Dog. I just want to see it because I want to see it. I still can't find a copy, not even on Cinemagadon. With the Alan Smithy credit, what do you guys think is the legacy of Alan Smithy? Because like at the beginning of this, Cecil, I think you mentioned that it it was an uh oh as soon as you see it. That's not what it was meant to be though.
1: Hellraiser three. Hellraiser three is the legacy of Alan Smithy. Hellraiser three? Hellraiser four. Bloodline. Yes. Hellraiser Bloodline is the legacy of Alan Smithy. It it illustrates just just how cancerous a project can become
2: yeah i still go with the uh-oh <laughs> whenever i run into something it's like oh but i do think it's silly that it has become uh, w- once it got better known and people started kind of co-opting it that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is that you get people that are growing up in that and they say oh i'm going to be the one who does you know puts the alan smithy on there it's like all the people who still use the um i'm gonna put the wilhelm scream in the movie and it's oh, like
1: if you yeah. really if you really want to be funny you Use the the Tom the Tom Cruise scream from uh, the Mummy trailer. Oh, the! I, I would actually oh, like
0: to I would actually like to see instead of the Wilhelm scream, somebody some mainstream movies got to start using the Reb Brown scream.
3: <laughs> <laughs> start using that as your go to. Yeah,
0: it has to be done in the next Captain America movie. Yes. <laughs> With the Alan Smithy credit, and you, you see all the things that people did take their names off of, does it shock you that maybe in the internet age it just wouldn't be so easy? Because n- now we get all of the production notes, any film that's being even a low-budget film. We know who the director is and, and any production problems. Could you even get away with pulling a pseudonym of a, I'm taking my name off this nowadays? possibly
2: i mean if you look at how like there are still films that that are being made in secret so i think that um there is a possibility that you could uh you know maybe do do a film in secret and you know maybe you're not happy with it and just uh attach your name to it eventually it might come out that oh well this was really uh so and so but they want their name taken off of it but uh i think it it would definitely be harder but i wouldn't say that it's impossible
1: there's a police instructional video movie that i watched last night it was called surviving edged weapons and in the end credits one of the names of the production cast was joe bag of donuts and i thought (laughs) that was funny
0: that is actually kind of funny (laughs) especially for police yeah Yeah, it was
1: was a very very much uh self-aware kind of thing it was really i would recommend anybody to watch that it was one of the most uh it's got a, a lot of unintentional laughs in it but it's also really really gruesome There's a lot of autopsy photos and really and solid uh, recreations and uh, showing you to, uh, how to defend from knife attacks, and also the funny little little in jokes <laughs> like Joe Bag of Donuts. It was great. I don't know what that really has to do with like my take on Alan Smithy. I just I just really wanted to wanted to share that. Thank that just you. reminded Thank you for sharing.
2: <laughs> that just reminded me of um, the Bear Wench project was starring Dick Big Dickian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I was, I was watching a, I was watching a porno from the 80s that was directed by Glenn Moorhead. <laughs> Alright, well on that note, in our, in our endless search for Tex Mexium, where can Cecil be found?
2: I can be found at goodbadflicks.com as well as GoodBadFlix on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch and Facebook and on 1201Beyond.com.
0: And where can the purple steroid ape be found?
1: <sighs> Randy, I am the Tex Mexium. You can find me on Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook, The cinematicist on YouTube, The cinematicist on 1201Beyond.com. I should have my Halloween special out soon. I've edited about half of it. We're recording and this, this so in the middle be... of December, by the way. I recorded it in the middle of December, so it should be out uh, a little bit before christmas so merry halloween everyone
0: don't know how to follow that so can find me at <laughs> 1201beyond.com contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night <laughs>